0: You're listening to the Theology Mom Podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining me for tonight's live stream. I am excited to bring you some very important content tonight. Uh, I'm going to be having a discussion with Christian therapist, Andrew Rodriguez. Now, Andrew's been on the podcast before. We talked to him last fall. where We had a great conversation about four views on um, gay and ex-gay ministries. And so if you want to check out our previous conversation, you can do so by looking over at my channel. But we're going to be discussing tonight a difficult, emotional topic and i'm so glad you're here i hope you will share this podcast with a friend um we're going to be tackling the very difficult question my child just told me that they think they're gay now what uh this is a question that we are hearing more and more at the ministry and i wanted to try to get some help to help us think about this and it is A topic that is important and difficult and tricky, and we won't have all the answers tonight, but hopefully we can help build a framework uh, so that you can uh, begin to help those in your life or in your family. Now, this is a pre recorded broadcast because, God willing, Monique and I will be traveling home today, but I wanted to make sure to bring you some fresh content, even though we're on the road. So, Uh, With that, I want to introduce, once again, Andrew Rodriguez. Welcome back, Andrew.
1: Good to be back. Thanks, Krista. Uh,
0: Maybe for those that uh, didn't... Uh, meet you last time, we should probably get them a little bit up to speed. You're a, you're a therapist, you're a Christian, you often work with patients who struggle with unwanted same-sex attraction. So maybe a place to begin this, this conversation tonight is by laying out the big picture of god's design for sexuality so i know it's a big question but maybe if we have a little bit of a framework in place that will provide a launching point for other things we're going to get into
1: more and more whenever i speak on this topic i i just find it so important to start with these basics what is sexuality what is god's design for our sexuality and we have to have that foundation first So it's important to understand that uh, God designed our sexuality actually as part of being critical to being made in the image of God. That right there in Genesis when it says God made male and female and he made them in the image of God, it says right there, right after he says in the image of God he made them, male and female he made them. So there's something about being made male and female that is integral to being made in the image of God. It does a couple things are, well, as humans, are bifurcation, are being split into male and female, into two sexes, is a reflection of who God is as a communion of persons, different persons. There's a unity in diversity within God. There's distinct persons, yet he's one in essence. And so this is constant communion for eternity of of an exchange of love, giving and receiving love. And that just makes sense. What is God? He's God is love. It's fundamental to his character. And so God designed humans to reflect that love. And it's through the giving and the receiving. And when God gives and receives, it always produces life. So it just makes sense that the way that God would create humans to reproduce was not asexually, where we just, he could have made Adam. And Adam had a way to duplicate himself. No, it was through a union, through God making the two, the the male and female, and then calling the two to become one flesh, that that is how we continue to produce more life. So we see right there uh, a picture of God's own nature as an eternal communion of persons that's constantly giving and receiving life-producing love. The other thing it does is it gives us, like, it's prophetic. It's a physical thing. That points us toward a heavenly reality, and that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. That the fact that we're made into two and called to unite also is a reflection of how we are going to participate in that life of the Trinity. And this is what Paul alludes to in Ephesians 5 when he says, when he's talking about husbands and and their wives, and he says, they're to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And I'm speaking of a great mystery. Christ in the church. You know, the Bible starts with a marriage in the Garden of Eden. You see marriage being basically what the covenants are that God has with his people, constantly referring to Israel as his bride, usually an unfaithful wife. You see marital love, sexual love being celebrated in Song of Songs. You see Hosea, the story of God being faithful to an adulterous wife. But then you see Jesus come, and he is the bridegroom coming to to betroth and and then Uh, purify his bride, and he says he's going to come back again. God God didn't just give us arbitrary rules about sex. All the rules God gave us about sex are meant to protect this symbolism about what our sexuality and gender is for. And he designed us to uh, develop sexually in such a way to reflect this. And so he gives us a mom and a dad. We're supposed to have these attachments with them, and and the mom's supposed to nurture and help give a foundation of a child's identity and worth through her soothing, her nurturing. And a is supposed to impart identity and challenge the child to grow and become his own person. And then through identification with his own sex, through primarily the same-sex parent and same-sex siblings and other relatives, the child develops a sense of being part of their own sex, part of their own gender. Like a boy needs to feel like he is one of the guys to then be able to see that "Hmm, I'm meant for union with someone opposite of me. You know, the the Azera connecto that God made Eve to be the helpmate who is corresponding to her, uh, to him. So we don't realize that though, unless we have fully identified with our own sex. So, uh, God had a developmental pathway that isn't just natural. It doesn't just happen. It needs to be achieved, and that's through the proper nurture from our parents and protection from other negative influences. Uh, we need to protect children from being sexualized prematurely, from having sexual experiences before they're ready. Also, they need to be informed of things. They can't just be ignorant about sexual development, and, and then they're hit with it all at the at a certain time. That's some basics right there of God's designed for our sexuality and his plan for developing healthy normative sexual development within us
0: and and again this is probably going to be some some new thoughts for people to try on as we're going into the conversation but to, to think about um you know god's plan and god's design and that weddings and and marriage is both at the beginning of scripture and the end of scripture and everything in between. It is definitely one of these important threads throughout the story of the Bible. And there's a few different threads, but this is definitely one of them that we ought to reflect on as God's people. Now, when we think about what's happening right now with our young people, um, we're definitely seeing a rise in, uh, in a lot more young people coming out as gay, trans, lesbian, non-binary, you know, a lot of different labels. Are you seeing this trend in in your practice? Do you have any thoughts about why this is happening and and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, we're seeing this everywhere. Um, I was just at a conference last fall. Uh, at a Christian counselors and social workers conference, and I was speaking on this type of stuff. And I just asked right away, like, well, who here knows someone in their family, friends, but just in family alone? Almost pretty much the whole room raised their hand of someone who's now identifying as gay or trans. Uh, before it would have been maybe a quarter of the room that would raise their hand. I've been doing these talks for like 10 years. So, yeah, there is a, a proliferation. It's a, sort of like the uh, the gay agenda is reaping the rewards now. Uh, a recent study uh, a couple years ago, I think it was New York Times published that, well, it's just readily available now. Uh, among Gen Z, uh, there's, it's about a quarter of them identify, maybe even more, it's like a third, identify somewhere LGBTQ+. So, whereas for years we could easily say no and within the general population it's only about like a fraction of a percent to maybe three percent of the population is lgbtq okay now it's like among that particular generation it's it's um it's a mega minority now yeah so that indicates something is going on it's not that's not nor natural it's not a natural development there's been a lot of social engineering that's been happening. Uh, so there's a few theories about why that's going on. Uh, but yes, that is certainly a phenomenon. We're seeing a, a major increase.
0: Well, what do you, would you say are some of the factors that are part of that, this this increase that we're seeing? I mean, I know there's a lot of conversations about schools. Our families changing. We have a lot of more broken families. Um, there's just so much more normalization of it in entertainment. I don't know, like, what yeah. What are some of these factors that you see?
1: There, there are multiple factors that are intersecting and they're causing this increase in the LGBTQ identification. Uh, and sadly, the reality is the church has not been the thought leader on this subject. Even if they've mm-hmm. been preaching on it, they've not been, they've lost their credibility a long time ago in a lot of ways. And so they're not the, the source of information that young people are going to uh so we've got several factors here you got the family the, the breakdown of the family has been huge when you understand that your sexual development requires proper modeling of mother and father and yet we have this i mean this has been a trend for a long time but it's just increasingly gotten worse of fatherlessness or parental separation uh or divorce and so that's played a big role and it's not just that, even uh, recent research has shown that even when the dad is in the home, uh, the way the dad parents is often still very similar to the mother. And so you're not seeing so much the, the complementarity between masculine and feminine. Uh, we're seeing more and more, like in in the ma- manosphere, you might hear soy boy as a term, you know, very emasculated men now uh, that are modeling or they're supposed to be modeling fatherhood but yet what happens is not they're not salient for a father to be salient meaning it's a, a figure that uh, a boy is attracted to or even a girl a girl would look up to the father he needs to be perceived by the child as both strong and benevolent now historically we've had probably too much of the problem of dad being just strong you know the, the patriarchal tyrant was Just cold, emotionless, and so there's a lack of the, the warmth from a father, protective, and, and fun from a father. But we're also seeing this increase now of fun dad or passive dad. Uh, so he's not a figure that the children want to look up to, they don't might not be able to articulate that, but that's part of the reality is dad is not a figure that they want to emulate, that's when he is in the home. On top of that, we got the fatherlessness crisis. So, and that's important for both male and female development. So, it's we've always talked about it as being critical for boys in their sexual development that they bond with their father, but it's important for girls as well. In the church, like I was saying before, we often had the strict patriarchal figure, but also in the church, we still do have this where uh, in, cert- especially in certain denominations or subcultures within the church very strict gender stereotypes that are reinforced i used to make the joke or i still make the joke that i used to go to a church where we worship two things god and football and if you weren't into football then you just you didn't belong you just you weren't one of the guys and so there's some boys maybe just have a natural temperament that doesn't fit a lot of these culturally bound stereotypes what it means to be a man and the church reinforces those uh as a counselor uh, especially in Lancaster County, PA, in Amish country, I was seeing sort of like this uh, really underground problem within like the Mennonite community of of homosexuality. And you, the and I'm talking about very traditional Mennonites, not more liberal Mennonites, but where they have very strict gender roles, But it was it was probably to the point where it's too strict, and so it went. It gets there's a gender confusion or. Uh, a lack of identification with your gender and it just gets pushed, it gets suppressed. Uh, they don't know how to talk about it, and so it, there's experimentation that goes on in secret, stuff like that. So sometimes, in these strict Christian, uh, traditional religious homes, they end up creating the very thing that they're trying to avoid by being so strict.
0: But I'm also wondering is the proliferation of porn? in um, porn in the home, porn on mobile devices, porn has become so normalized. I've wondered if, if that's also a factor in, in the rise of, of what we're seeing.
1: Without a doubt, yes. And when we now have a generation that does not know life without having the internet readily accessible. Like I grew up where it was a big deal when we finally had a computer. Then it was a big deal when we finally got a computer with the internet, and even then, it you still had to hook up to the modem and no dial one up. To be, yeah, had the dial <laughs> up, and, and we fought over it. And it was in a family room where everyone could see what you're doing. You know, it was now you don't have that. Every kid now pretty much has access to it. Right. Um, it's ubiquitous. So you either have access on your own, but even then, like I'm I'm working now in a situation with some uh, with a family, and the parents found out their son is like 12 years old was he's dealing with all sorts of sexual problems and uh acting out in some ways. And so they took away all his devices. But at the school, they have their own laptops at school and they don't monitor. They don't uh, restrict access. There's no porn filters. He's looking at porn at the laptop at school during his math class or in between classes for five minutes. So it's gone everywhere. But on top of it, we're seeing more and more. It's not just like, Porn as in just a guy and a girl making out, kissing, and then having sex. It's, they're being exposed earlier and earlier to hardcore pornography, very uh, like very debasing porn. And that's even if it's not homosexual porn, it's sending messages that debase gender. And so imagine if a young girl is being exposed to this type of pornography and the seeing the woman being humiliated and debased. That's sending a message to girls that being a woman is a liability. Mm-hmm. That's not something I want to grow up to be where I'm going to be humiliated and ashamed. And if a boy is watching porn, even if it's straight porn, he's getting his cues from the male. So even through constant use of even heterosexual pornography, you can even see this go further into uh, homosexual, especially as you develop a tolerance for one type of porn. Well, let me let me go to the next level. What can make this more thrilling, more exotic? unusual. So, yeah, but on top of that, not just porn, but with social media, you see now so many of these families where maybe they didn't have a lot of the dynamics we used to see when we were talking about homosexual development in the home, where it was like maybe a bad relationship with mom or dad uh, or the same sex parent rather, and maybe bullying by older siblings. Like those are the, some of the more traditional trends we would often see. Now we're seeing in families where that might not necessarily be the case, but we're still seeing now their, their kids identify as LGBT, especially trans. Well, where did they get this from? And a lot of it's coming from the indoctrination from social media. They they got hooked by Reddit or Snapchat or TikTok where there's these hashtags about LGBT stuff and it, it feeds their desire to be unique. May there's some anxiety, some depression they already had, and then there's a community ready for them to associate with them and find, oh, here's the solution. Maybe you're really gay. Maybe that's why you feel anxious.
0: There's there's a certain amount of peer pressure of like, hey, if I want to be in the cool group, I mean, this is the group right now that's so celebrated. You know, there will be people that will celebrate you and love you and, and even... I was watching a video just yesterday of a teacher at a public school saying they now have a trans closet at their school so the child can dress in the way that the parents want them to dress and leave the house, come to school, and they'll be given the clothes that they feel most comfortable with that they can change in the trans closet and then identify while they're at school. And so it's it's designed from the beginning to undermine the parental authority and to get the child to, you know, kind of experiment with these things. So now I'm thinking about what do we do as parents? Let's, let's first talk about minors and then we'll talk about adult children. So, um, I'm imagining that a parent, their child discloses to them that they think they're gay or trans or whatever on that spectrum. The first initial feeling is for, as a parent, I think would be panic. Um, mm-hmm. At such a declaration, so maybe you can give us some guidance about how not to react <laughs> right away, uh, and what how what might be a better reaction.
1: First, don't react, uh, because reaction is usually automatic and not well thought out. So, uh, and they're usually defensive. So we want to avoid reactions. We want to take it very calmly and respond. Understand this is not a simple behavioral issue. It's not oh you're acting out in class, and so or I'm going to you didn't take you. the garbage
0: out. It's it's not like that.
1: Correct. Okay. You no, know, it, it's uh, this is a, a, an emotional relational issue. Okay. So responding as if this is simply some sort of behavior that needs to be corrected is not going to really. When your child over and really is not going to be productive so you instead and also you have to keep in mind if your child is now especially if they're voluntarily revealing this to you disclosing that this is either something they're struggling with or something they've already made a decision about most likely they've already been thinking about this for months they've been ruminating on it they probably already talked to friends about it before they've talked to you most likely now maybe you have a really good relationship with your child and they've talked to you about everything. If they do, awesome, great. Uh, basically, you want it to be so that your children know that you are the authority when it comes to sexual issues. So you got to be so secure in what you believe. You're going to have to know what the truth is so that you can handle hearing an alternate point of view without being insecure about it. You can handle it. You can hear it and still be confident that you know what's true. You know what's right. All right. And so you don't have to be compelled then to agree with your child's new identity. Uh, I put identity in in quotes because the word identity has been misused so much lately. It's it's now something very subjective. The reality is identity is something objective. Your child will always be a male if he's a boy. No way he views himself is going to change what his identity actually is. uh, And vice versa for girls. So it's a self-concept issue. And so you don't have to agree with your child's new self-concept or compromise your beliefs or values uh, and thinking that that's what it'll take to win them over. It's not. It's not going to win them over. Okay. But you also don't need to surrender your parental authority and your responsibility to protect your child. So uh, you need to raise them up in the way that is right, uh, to be well-adjusted, contribute to society. Uh, but you also don't want to coerce them or force them to, to like uh, deny what they're thinking and uh like suddenly change their mind on stuff. And I would even say don't try to coerce them to speak to a counselor because it's not as effective until the child actually voluntarily wants to speak to a therapist like myself. I, I had a recent situation where a family brought or a lady who's brought her son to see me and he's like I'm I'm gay identified. I, I no interest in exploring this. I'm like, okay. So I just worked with him on how to better communicate with his mom. And I met with the mom, like, well, you're going to have to keep praying for him. But I, I'm i not going to coerce him or try to change his mind. Like, I, I help him explore this as much as he's open to it. But I'm not going to be someone being accused of being coercive or shaming. Uh, but, I'm like, hey, you're still a parent. So you still set the ground rules about what goes on in your home. All right? And I would also say, I would caution against viewing it just as a phase. All right? This might be just a phase in that most Adolescents, if left alone, if not like uh, being exposed to an overwhelming amount of propaganda and social engineering like they are these days, if they identify as gay, lesbian, bi, or whatever, they'll go through multiple sexual identities throughout adolescence. And usually it trends back toward heterosexuality and back toward their own biological sex by the time they get to adulthood. But the problem is now that watchful waiting approach just doesn't work as well as it used to because there's such an aggressive push by the LGBTQ agenda to get them to identify as LGBT as soon as possible.
0: Well, and it becomes more severe when now we're starting to talk about younger and younger people having irreversible surgeries. And I think that that is... The, the, the watch and wait method that was kind of how things were in the past, it starts to become a little bit more urgent when, you know, 13 year olds are making permanent decisions about their sex organs. That's that's very difficult.
1: Yeah. So this, this may be different based on is your child coming out as uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and if they're coming out as trans, because one will not require them or won't involve them going through some sort of transition. You might still be able to encourage them. Well, all right, I understand you may think that, but we still have a rule here, no dating until adulthood. Okay. Or no sexual activity in my house. You know, so you might be able to still enforce some basic things that can protect your child from certain experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you fall for the trans thing, then that's going to encourage some behavioral uh, and medical or cosmetic changes that, Aren't as simply reversible. So yeah, that it might be different conversations depending on what your child is saying.
0: I want to go back to a point that you made a minute ago about coercion because I really think that's important. Um, I think that there have been some unfortunate trends in the past where a, a you know a teenager might make this declaration about. Um, same-sex attraction and then the parents panic and then they take them to a pastor to kind of talk them out of it or to to Mm -hmm. coerce them or to a therapist i think that's that's really important you know that there's there's a difference between boundaries and parental authority and saying what you're going to allow in your home versus coercion and taking them to a therapist or a pastor to kind of straighten them out
1: yeah, instead, we want them to hopefully get to a place where they voluntarily go to speak to someone and it might not be necessarily with the agenda of, let, let me change my attractions or change my thoughts about myself. And I'm saying this as a therapist who helps people uh, with exploring that. But maybe just to get them to a place where, all right, let me try to get, understand this better. Let me at least try to look into this, maybe explore the potential of, these these thoughts and feelings changing, okay? Uh, when a client knows that they have options, then they're gonna make a decision with more commitment. They'll, they'll be better motivated. So this goes both ways, okay? Because right now we're dealing with all these so-called conversion therapy bands where they're reducing options for clients. And they just assume that if it's a child, they don't wanna see a therapist. But I know plenty of times a child or an adolescent wanted to see a therapist, but there's no of help available. So we need to make sure there's options for everyone. For
0: dealing with a minor child, I think this is where it gets more tricky, especially in the trend line now of some places trying, starting to talk about, you know, you can't even hinder a, a minor from going down this, this path and, and, um, you know, I foresee in the future that, you know, we're going to have custody problems between parents. It's already happening. Parents. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's there could even be um, uh, child protective services get involved. Um, so this is the trend line of where we're going. And I think that that we have to be cognizant of the day that, in which we live, but also thinking about, well, what what can we do?
1: It is getting very dangerous for parents now just to hold to traditional values, but uh, I think now is not the time to acquiesce. So I think we need to be supporting uh, legal ministries. Uh, we need to be trying to introduce and, and push legislation that protects children from transitioning because most of the time it is. I mean, it's, it's in general it's a violation of their their true anatomy and who they really are. Uh, but it, it does the child doesn't really know how to consent they, they don't know what they're getting themselves into most of the time. So there's a lot of sex change regret. So I think we need to be fighting to protect children from the actual transition or, or whatever. It's not any true transition because you can't really change your sex. Um, to all this cosmetic surgery and uh, body change. Fundamentally there's a realization that all this change doesn't really solve the, the void, the woundedness that's really at the root to this gender confusion that the kids are experiencing. Mm -hmm. Your first task as as a parent is really to obtain as much information as possible. And so they're coming to you, especially if they came to you voluntarily, consider that a privilege that, wow, my child trusts me enough to share this with me. So empathically ask your child questions uh, and just listen. Listen without judging them or jumping in and correcting them without debating. And then also do your own research. Ask questions of others, you know, counselors like myself, other experts in this field, like uh, people who actually know their stuff. And do the research. Trust—they might have Your child might have questions you don't have the answer to yet. That's okay. Tell them, well, I'm gonna, we're going to work together on understanding this and commit to really learning everything you can. As you converse, keep in mind that your child's conclusions are, they're emotionally based. So when someone sharing with you something that's really more emotional, don't respond with logic, okay? It's, it's not, at least not initially. It's just going to hit a wall. So when they're sharing something with you, understand they're coming from a more of an emotional place. So respond with a reflection of what you're hearing from them and what the emotions are behind what they're he- you're hearing. Once the child feels that they're understood, they'll be more receptive to hearing you maybe ask more of a probing question and get them to challenge them a little bit more. But they first thing you know that they're understood, and so one, one of the first things you'll actually say to them that's going to be really key is that no matter what, no matter what you decide, I will always love you. I'll always be your mom. I'll always be your dad. Nothing will change that. I'll always love you. I'll always fight for what is best for you. They need to know that. They need to know that no matter what, you'll still love them. So you can validate their emotion without validating their conclusions about themselves, their, their, their thoughts about themselves, their new self-concept. But then at some point, you can start to ask them some questions, like maybe getting at some of the, the reasoning. Well, how come you came to this conclusion that you're gay? What, what makes you believe that? Doing it in a very judgmental manner, just very inquisitive. Get them to open up. Maybe uh, get them to see where are they basing their conclusions on. Uh, For myself, when I was in college, my freshman year, my my parents had suspicions about my older brother that him and his roommate were more than roommates, and so they confronted him, and and he came out as homosexual. He came out as gay, and they've been together now for, gosh over ten years, uh fifteen years now. And I had one conversation with my brother early in him coming out and where I just asked him, like, Matt, where are you getting this where are you getting this conclusion from? Now I knew enough about my brother's history to already I can identify a lot of the contributing factors in his life. But he eventually told me, Andrew, I'm just doing what feels good. And I don't think that's really changed for him. He was just, ultimately, he didn't want to keep fighting and he gave into what felt good. So, maybe you'd be able to get your child to start getting the gears turning, thinking about things in a new way. Um, by Asking them what's behind their decision-making process, their conclusions that they're making about themselves. So, you want to try and promote critical thinking. Because the LGBT agenda does not promote critical thinking. So, But if you first have to get the buy-in from your job. They need to know that you love them no matter what before they'll even entertain any critical thinking on this stuff. Don't spend every time you talk with them trying to win them over, having an argument, trying to rebuke them or preach at them. It's just going to push them away more.
0: I'm glad you said that because we get a lot of letters at the ministry asking like, how frequently should I keep bringing this up? How frequently Uh, should I keep talking to them about it? And, and you know, I think that's a tough, it's a tough question for me as a non-expert to know, you know, what to say. I think that at some point with with a with a, a kid, it's like, they kind of know your position. I don't think you need to keep rehearsing it every time they come home for Thanksgiving uh, dinner. I don't know.
1: And my dad kind of made that mistake early on with my older brother. It was like every time they come over, my dad just felt like, he just, he really believes that he it was his duty to try to win my brother over. And he's like, if I don't, if I miss this opportunity, then I'll be responsible for uh, for my son's fate. It's like, at some point, dad, you have to accept that he's going to make his own decision and just keep loving on him. And that's what we try to do. It's an ongoing struggle. So I can relate to parents and family members when they first hear the news. And it, it's, there's a grieving process you have to go through. Uh, so with your child, you need to constantly be showing them that you love them. But at the same time, let them know, hey, you're still going to be, especially if they're still living in your house. We're going to have certain standards. We're going to have certain rules, okay? Which guests can come over, or uh, how they conduct themselves at home. Um, Rules about dating, you know, depending if they're still a minor. So you can make it very very clear to them: I cannot control you, um, but we're going to have some rules at this home still, either way, and. I would hope that you will understand where I'm coming from. It's not to try to force you to uh, stop being authentic and stop sharing with me, but I we do have standards. I'm going to do my best to still raise you in the way that I believe is right, and that's your that's your role as a parent to still do that. You don't give that up just because your child now is in rebellion against your values.
0: I'm wondering if there's also some wisdom in trying to encourage them that, like, to hold their conclusion about being gay. As a tentative idea, like, you know, maybe um, it's a little too early for you to get all the way bought into that. Like, hey, I understand these things are happening. These are powerful emotions. What you're going through, you know, is a difficult time in your life for anybody. Being a teenager is hard for everybody. There's a lot of changes happening. You know, maybe invite them into a posture of uh, a wait and see. Kind of mode? Do you do you see any yeah.
1: wisdom with that? Yeah, I mean, because we have the evidence on our side that uh, child and adolescent sexual identities, non-heterosexual sexual identities, un- they're unstable. So um you don't have to like present the statistics to your child, but you can just be like, you know, let's. I, I know you have reasons for why you believe you're gay, and you have these attractions toward uh, toward other other. Say, if you have a son, yeah, because. I know that you're having these sexual feelings for other boys and I can see why you might think that you're gay, but maybe just wait, maybe just wait it out. Let's just see. Uh, Maybe we're jumping to that conclusion a little too early. Um, So just urge caution. In some ways we're talking about sexual attraction fluidity or sexual identity fluidity these days. We can present it as that way. You know, sometimes sexuality is fluid. Maybe just wait it out. Let's see. And maybe, you know, you're still developing, uh, and so maybe it's too, it's too soon to tell. You know, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Let's, let's just wait on that. So you're not condemning them right away for thinking that way, but you're just sort of saying, let's, let's urge some caution here. Let's slow it down.
0: Another point of parenting is you're, you know, you as as the mother and father are running your household. I guess I have so many concerns about the normalization on shows and movies, television, of showing um, LGBT people, they're usually now portrayed as like they're the most fit or they're most interesting or the most intelligent or, or the most, they have an appealing personality. It's like, those are the people you want to root for in, in the movie. And um, the, the people cast in the traditional roles are sort of boring and 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 that sort of thing. And I guess what I'm wondering is what the impact of that is on a child that they might not even perceive right away that superheroes now are gender fluid and all of this normalization. I'm wondering how Christian parents might actually be kind of co-signing that to a degree but not realizing the 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 larger impact that that can have on a child and maybe we'd be better to just have a position as a family like we're not going to interact with this kind of entertainment even though maybe even we as parents really want to because we enjoy it too i don't know this is this is the the conflict in my mind at times
1: and i know there's it's there's no easy answer to that question yeah, because it's getting to the point where it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, especially look at the, the new rules for the Oscars. You can't even be considered uh, st- as of 2024, which they're, they're jumping on it now. So it uh, might as well be the current rules, but I think it's 2024 or 2025 to be considered for nomination for an Oscar. You're, you have to include some sort of representation either in the crew or in the story or the characters, and it's going to be some sort of marginalized group representation. Well, you throw LGBT in there, I mean, you look at almost every movie now that's on one of the streaming services, and even if it has nothing to do with the plot, they, they just have to insert some LGBTQ character. And so this actually increases in people's mind how normal, normal it is, even if it's not the main character. It's a completely side character, and they throw it in even though it's irrelevant to the plot. Uh, because once we've I, like, normalized gay marriage, then why can't we just normalize this in every form of media? It makes no sense why we have to treat it like it's different. What sort of entertainment do you continue to allow in your homes? Well, I mean, let's not be hypocritical either. How much content have you let your kids see that has uh, premarital sex in it mm-hmm. uh, or uh, just a sexual content in it? And uh, we've normalized that. So let's be consistent in our values. I would say, Now's a really good time to stock up on some DVDs of old TV shows that you used to enjoy that were else wholesome. <laughs> Raise your children up on some of the good stuff because you've know, got to get to the point.
0: That's <laughs> kind of what we did is we bought a lot of DVDs from old shows that my husband and I grew up with in the 80s. And our kids probably know <laughs> far more than most of their peers about uh uh 80s shows. But yeah, I mean it's that was a way that we chose as a family. To deal with it uh, in large measure when they were growing right. up is we just opted out of a lot of participation and that was, I think, both of us had to make sacrifices on shows that we enjoyed just to say like we're not gonna we're not gonna do this. But it's just a subtle thing that I think that most of us like we don't always stop to step back and and look at it like well how am I really participating in this and what uh, might be
1: and I would say. Uh, The strategy has to be a little different depending on the age of your child. I would say the younger they are, protect them as much as possible, so you're the greatest source of influence. We have to remember from a uh, a systemic point of view, the family unit, especially the the parents, will primarily throughout their lives still hold the greatest influence. We get worried by all the medias out there, but if they know that mom and dad know their stuff and they are trustworthy if they have integrity if mom and dad have always shown me what a good marriage looks like and they've resolved their conflicts together if mom and dad have worked through their own individual issues and they've shown sexual maturity and it just really just any sort of emotional maturity as well i can trust them as my source for what's right or what's wrong so as they grow older they you can lift that gate. You can, you know, start allowing different things in and they won't be you'll be they'll be able to be inoculated against it. Yeah. I was I was a homeschool kid. So I was homeschooled all 12 years, not my brothers. I was the only one who was homeschooled all 12 years. Just worked best for me. Um but at the same time we were homeschooled, you know, conservative home and yet we weren't sheltered. Like I knew about stuff. You know, my my parents had uh pretty crazy histories. And especially my dad, his, his his story is like a soap opera stuff that he went through. <laughs> so, um, and so we were never sheltered. We're not ignorant about what goes on in the world. And so parents need to protect their children, but at a certain age, they need to uh, ch- like, let them be challenged by outside things so that they can be inoculated.
0: I'm imagining that some percentage of children and teenagers are also struggling with other mental health issues. And that can be tricky as well. You know, especially if we get a lot of letters these days about um, young people struggling with bullying or extreme anxiety and that sort of thing. So I'm imagining that that's also variables in the mix in, in all of this.
1: Yes. Especially if you look at the whole issue of the rapid onset gender dysphoria uh, it's, Grown so fast among children, especially those who already have depression, anxiety, autism, uh, ADHD and it's it makes sense because if they're already coming from this position of feeling like they can't relate to their peers, that uh, there's something uniquely wrong about them. Well, then this LGBT community that looks so welcoming and also affirming and will actually celebrate them, sure looks appealing. Sure looks like a way where I can get an identity that I can be proud of. And, uh, and also seems to provide some answers to why I'm struggling this way. Like I've, um, I've heard some stories of some teachers who they're going to these trainings by these LGBT activists and they're telling them, if you see kids who at the lunchroom, they sit by themselves, they seem lonely, they seem to have social problems. Go to them, ask them if they're gay or if they're trans. That might explain why they are lonely or uh, why other kids don't wanna be around them. You know, as if that is, the, that is the key that will answer all their questions. So there's a concerted effort to increase the, or uh, yeah, yeah, increase early identification with the LGBTQ community. And it it sure is appealing when you got kids who are already struggling with feeling like they belong.
0: Yeah. So let's talk for a minute as we wrap up here about dealing with children who are adults and how that's different, you know, in our responses if our child comes home from college or something and, you know, they're having that tough conversation with us, how might we respond?
1: So, yeah, same basic principles with assuring them of their love no matter what, um, listening, gathering as much information as possible, uh, and hopefully at an age where they could engage in some critical thinking, but they're going to probably have a little more resistance to uh, reconsidering what their what their conclusions are. Uh, but you just want to be a secure home base. The temptation will be to just go along with it. You know, because you don't want to lose the connection with your child. And uh, you know, that's a judgment call that your parent needs to make, so I'm not going to give a hard and fast rule there. But what I often hear from detransitioners or people who uh, have returned is one of the things that helped them was that their parent who really loved them the most, a parent that they knew loved them and accepted them, but still did not identify with their new identity. Still, deny, a, you know, say a boy who identified as a girl later detransitions or desists in identifying as the opposite sex. One of the lifelines was that his mom, that he had a close relationship with, that he knew his mom loved him. Mom never changed from viewing him as a boy, and so they need first the assurance that you love them, and. With that, that gives you that sort of clout that you need so that you can hold the line and not identify. It doesn't matter if, if say, you, you've been rejecting and you have a terrible relationship with them, and then you say, well, I'm not going to identify, I'm not going to uh, view you as, a, as the opposite sex, or I'm not going to affirm this. That's not going to win them over. It's when they, they have that assurance that you care about them as a person above all else. So uh, don't be scared to hold to your convictions and your standards uh and also keep in mind when it comes to them being at your house whether they still live there or if they're going to come for visits you have your own standards about what goes on in your home just as if they were dating someone of the opposite sex you had rules about your home about hey no sleeping over or if they do they're not going to be in the same bed as you so same thing would apply uh you know you can have rules about the pda and uh uh, whether or not they're going to engage in sex in your home. And if they don't want to engage in that or they don't want to follow your rules, well, then it's their choice to leave. You don't get to t- do not own that. Don't take the blame of kicking them out. If they chose leaving your home, cause they didn't want to respect your rules of your house.
0: I have a friend who I've been walking with in this journey with her, um, her daughter uh, first came out as a lesbian and then came out trans and it's been a long journey but this was actually one of the issues one time that she texted me about was you know that her daughter wanted to bring home uh her girlfriend and she's like I just don't know like do I let them stay at the house what do I do and I told her well I guess I would do if it was me I would do whatever I would do if she was Dating a boy, you know, like whatever that rule was that you've had in place for your other adult children, I would just have the same rule. And um, I wouldn't make a necessarily a different rule in this situation. But um, thankfully, you know, they're in that situation, she's been able to preserve a good relationship with her daughter who now lives as a man but but the relationship has remained strong and but it's been difficult
1: i know to add as well if they're in a relationship with with someone remember that person they're with is a person they're not just an obstacle to your child uh coming back to god Like, I can't wait for their breakup so that my child can come back to the Lord. Hey, they might break up. That don't mean that person's going back to God Mm -hmm. or changing their viewpoint on homosexuality or transgenderism. But remember, that person is made in the image of God as well and has their own struggles, has their own story of why they came into LGBTQ. And so if they're going to be in your child's life for a while, then make your mission to get to know that person as well. Treat them like a person. Yeah, I could say that it was tough, but we got to get to know my brother's partner, and to the point, my wife and I were like worried. Is he started to think that we're like gay affirming. <laughs> like we were worried that he was getting that impression because of just how how much we got along with them.
0: I think in my friend's case, it, she's started to see you know her daughter's girlfriends as you know people who need the Lord, and she's been able to listen to some of their pain and what they've been through and sharing with them about the Lord. And you know, you never know what seeds that will produce and, and reap. And so, you know, it's, it is complicated every day, almost for her as she's walks through these things. But um, it's, I think you're, you're giving some, some, some good perspective on this, you know, just to not overreact, not be in a chronic posture of defensiveness and explaining and shame and pride, but, but to really um, be present and try to preserve the relationship as much as you can so that um, there can be a way back. I guess that's how my friend and I have talked about that is you, she wants to keep that door open. So there's a way back.
1: Yep. And gather with you an army of prayer warriors. Mm that will continually be praying for your child, uh, for, them to, for the Holy Spirit to convict them. Yeah, he's the spirit of truth. He brings conviction, and then he brings comfort. So at the same time, be praying for the Holy Spirit to bring comfort to you. Uh, we're not guaranteed that just praying will do, it, do the trick. If there's still—I'm uh, not a Calvinist, so I believe in free will. There's <laughs> still a choice that needs to be made. Um, But God really does move, and he's activated. He's moved by by the prayers of the saints. Pray that God brings other people into your child's life, circumstances. Uh, So pray for protection as well, but sometimes it might be hitting a rock bottom in some ways.
0: I want to close out by just having a quick conversation about churches and talking to pastors because I have been wondering if churches maybe aren't thinking strategically yet about the rise of young people who um are coming out on the lgbt spectrum families are in crisis but they might not always feel resourced in what to do and i'm wondering you know if if andrew rodriguez ruled the world like what would he want pastors to know about how to support these families
1: maybe a bit cynical when it comes to this where We've got a lot of churches that are run more like businesses than they are a church. And a church is meant to be the family of God. It needs to be a place that's conducive to soul care, to really helping people really capture who they are in Christ. You know, once you become a believer, you're now, you have a new identity. And that needs to be nurtured, developed, and supported in a community of other people who are on the same journey as you. And so it's too easy. It's a lot of these mega churches for people, families, and individuals to just fall through the cracks. So we need churches that are run like large extended families that are going to look out for each other. Uh, members need to know that they belong. Uh, and it's only when people know that you really care will they care about what you have to say. And so that's the first thing I think. Just in general, churches need to be thinking like in terms of how can we be a family. And that that has a lot of applications because if we're a church family, then that means we're going to mourn with those who mourn, we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice, we're going to look out for each other's needs, um, we're going to include people in our own celebrations. So that anyone who say a single person, it's like my wife and I, we're just the two of us. We don't have any kids. We always loved having single friends. <laughs> like we never wanted to just be with other married couples. Like well. We enjoyed having friends who are alone and single and so that they knew they had a community they could go to. And cause that's how it was for me growing up. My family, we always uh, adopted the single person in our, in the church to, to be part of our family. So we need churches that are going to do that because maybe there will be people who uh, need to know that there's a place for them. Uh, we need to do much better in discipling. We need to make sure we have a, a really thorough process of catechizing new converts and new members, so that they understand what the church teaches about sexuality and the marriage, family, and the reasons why. And uh, that means sometimes putting aside the the numbers game and being like, "Well, we got to get converts, we got to get these baptisms," and really make sure they know what they're doing before they commit to the church. Uh, this I've told people back. When I was in college, this issue of homosexuality is the issue that will define our generation, and it's been happening sooner than than I anticipated. And the, one of the greatest stakes is the church's um, understanding of the authority of Scripture and what God has to say about sexuality. And but once there, that's a linchpin because once we question that, and we sort of deconstruct what God says about sexuality a whole bunch of other dominoes fall so we need to be training up our church members to really understand and and buy into what God's word says and what the church has historically taught on sexuality I'm
0: imagining that as we do that teaching that framework we're we're gonna also on the other side of the coin you know have a lot of be teaching people how to deal with the compassion side um, so that we can go truth and grace, truth and love, you know, yes. because I think for too long, the church has had a reputation of, we're just going to tell you all this truth, but we're, we're not going to pay attention to how
1: we're doing it. Exactly. That's where I was going to go next. Yeah. Because uh, for so long, um, we just think we're fighting a culture war and we forget there's people in the crossfire. And I like, I appreciate a lot of the conservative churches I've been a part of who will uh, gladly fight against certain co- uh, the LGBT agenda, and that's great. But if we're not also offering help to people, then we're not really being compassionate. Mm-hmm. And com- true compassion is to affirm the truth, but also offer genuine, effective help for people who want it. And so we got churches that will just, well, they'll, they'll preach the truth about God's plan for sexuality, but then if someone's struggling with it, they're just like, okay, well, we're just going to preach at you. Well, that's not sufficient. Just preaching at someone isn't sufficient for them to, to heal and grow and mature out of that struggle that they have. So what we get, we got the opposite side. You get these progressive churches that are now just saying, oh, we just need to show them love. But they're not preaching truth, and they're not actually providing help to people. So it ends up turning more and more. may might not start as a progressive church. It'll just be one of the more... Uh, sort of popular mega churches, they don't want to cause any waves. Well, eventually they'll, they'll turn progressive eventually because they just do that love approach, which really isn't true love because they're leaving out truth. Then Are there
0: certain ministries that you think that a local church ought to maybe begin to ask the Lord whether they might step into? Because I'm thinking that there might be more families in local churches than the pastor even realizes are going through this and need to get resourced.
1: I'll check out the Hope Network. Uh, that's the uh, a network of ministries. It's a, an umbrella uh, organization for a bunch of ministries that specialize in these issues. And I know there's a lot of critics of the ex-gay ministries because they think, well, that's outsourcing. Well, the, the, the heart of most of these ministries is to train and equip the church to do this type of work. And a lot of them, what they do is they train them in things like, say, um, Desert Street Ministries. They have a program called Living Waters, and it's run at local churches. You know, I've, I've done my training on Living Waters. It's, it's amazing. It incorporates everything I was talking about earlier about what God's design and intent for our sexuality is, as well as provides a very biblical form of counseling uh, in a group setting and for male and female. And it's not what I also love about it is not just for homosexuality is for any form of sexual brokenness, whether it have gone through divorce or uh, if you had sexual abuse in your background, you have pornography addiction, as well as same-sex attraction issues, it's finding that we're all going to heal together. And that's where you see the image of God really represented in that sort of format. So we need to make us so that this is not such a special issue that we always have to outsource it, but we need to get proper training in how to effectively help people. And if you have people in your church who may have... Uh, a calling to be a therapist a counselor in this field and they got the boldness to do this type of work sponsor them to go through grad school and so they're not putting out a whole bunch of loans to to get the training view it as an investment in the body of christ and if you got local christian therapists who are out there who who do this type of work send clients to them ask them to come to your church speak um develop a relationship same thing if you're a christian school Invite them to your school to do trainings and um, send clients to them and, their, and send families to them. So we want to promote and build up and train up therapists and lay counselors. I, I Before I was a therapist, I did lay counseling for years and just did as much training as I could so that I could be as effective as possible. I did, did not settle for being ignorant about anything. I wanted to be as good a counselor as possible even if I didn't have a degree yet. So we need to make it our commitment to provide effective help for people, because this issue is not going to go away. As long as the Holy Spirit is still on Earth, He's going to convict people about this issue, and the church needs to be prepared.
0: Andrew, tell us again how people can get connected with you and your content, um, and so that they can continue the conversation with you.
1: Sure, uh, look for Psycho Bible. That's one word: Psycho Bible. battling about psychology and theology. Look for that on. Uh, YouTube. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me on Rumble, Odyssey, Locals, MeWe. So I try to be on all the platforms, all the alternative ones in case I get shut down on YouTube, but YouTube is my biggest platform. And so find me on there. Uh, Hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell for notifications because I know they got a lot of subscribers who don't see all my videos. And not just for my content, but I got playlists on there because... It's not just stuff I'm saying. I, I try to have like a library of resources for people. So you can do a deep dive on homosexuality, on therapy for these issues, on uh, theology of the body. So you can educate yourself on these things.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us today and offer some some thoughts and wisdom on this very important and sensitive topic. Uh, I just want to say, if you are in a family and in a situation right now, Uh, where you are struggling with your child reach out for help you're not alone we get many many letters don't let the enemy drown you in shame Uh, reach out for help the restore hope network is a great one that Andrew just mentioned and um, we will continue to have these conversations on our channel but we just want to let you know that you're not alone and The father sees you, and and he sees the struggle that you're going through. And um, I just want to let you know that we're praying for you, and we love you. And Center for Biblical Unity is a place where uh, we're family. So we thank you so much for watching today, and we hope that I I really sincerely hope that you'll share this with a friend that you think um, could benefit from this conversation thank you so much god bless and good night
1: be sure to follow theology mom on facebook and like comment and subscribe on youtube don't forget to catch krista next week for more theology fun on theology
0: mom and all the things thanks for listening